Welcome into another edition of Spits and Suds, or as we like to call it, Spits and Suds One Timers. I'm Gavin Spittle of 1053 The Fan. Super excited. And our Spits and Suds listeners, when we announced that this was going to happen, they got excited because Rich Peverly, the director of player personnel for your Dallas Stars, is joining us and excited to dive into Rich's career and talk some stars uh, at the beginning. How are you, Rich? Great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Is there a buzz around Ontario right now? I mean, you live in the area and all-star week. Yeah. Do you have any activities? Yeah, you know, it is, it's getting quite exciting around here. The weather's actually been pretty nice too. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, I think they haven't had the all-star game here for 20 years. Uh, I think most people are probably excited, uh, about the skills competition, uh, I bet you the the ticket for that would probably be a lot more uh, in demand than the than the actual game. But uh, there's lots of people from around here going and really excited to see the stars that are playing in it. And, um, you know, it's kind of created a little bit of a buzz, that's for sure. Have they asked locals like Rich Peverly to participate in any activities? They have no idea who I am. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. And mostly, I'm sure... Maple Leafs alumni for, oh, okay. for sure. <laughs> yeah, not not me. <laughs> oh man, that that that's great. All right, so a lot of people are asking because uh, this is an exciting team. Not just what's currently what's happening in Dallas, but through the system, and you're a big part of that. First off, you know how are you enjoying this management role? Because I believe you had always had this vision, you know, you ended up a great player, but you also had that vision of becoming a, you know, in management in hockey, just being around the game. Yeah. I just love the game. And, um, you know, I think when I was, even before I was playing, you know, I wasn't a high, I wasn't drafted. Uh, you know, you kind of try to envision your life when you're younger and and what you enjoy doing. And, and I wouldn't, wasn't sure if I'd be able to play in the NHL or, or even play pro for that matter. So, you know, you envision it. And I always enjoy, you know, the transaction part, the uh, the scouting side of it. Even when I was like a teenager, I just enjoyed going to games and watching. And I always kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to be in, in some kind of role in hockey. I, I had no idea what capacity that would be. But, you know, as you start, if I played and, and got into my career and, you know, unfortunately with what happened to me, but... Uh, I had my career ended early, but, uh, you know, it did give me a foot in the door to, to, to work with Jim Nill and, and the stars, uh, organization, which has been phenomenal for me. So, you know, six years of player development, which was outstanding. I really enjoyed working with the AHL coaches and working with, uh, our prospects, coaches, all the players. Um, I think we had some success, you know, with, uh, with some of the players that we, you know, graduated up to the big team so that's been exciting and uh you know even now uh you know if this is my third year now player personnel and I've really enjoyed this side of it so a little bit more conversations about the big team and transactions trades uh amateur draft a little bit of everything and I feel very lucky to be given that opportunity by Jim and and for everyone in the organization to, to put the faith in me to to do it and I and I and I really enjoy it it's uh it's a fun, it's a fun uh, team to be a part of great city. You know, we've had some success in the past few years and hopefully even more in the future. Well, as a guy who played up the middle in his career, you know, I got to ask you about Wyatt Johnston, Rope Hintz. I mean, these are top tier centers and I'm just amazed specifically at Johnston as 
far as the development and the maturity at such a young age. It just, you know, we hear about sophomore slumps. We see it a lot. And, I mean, it just seems as though taking the game to the next level every single year. Yeah, Wyatt is, uh, you know, I think first you have to give a lot of credit to Joe McDonnell and his staff, scouting staff. You know, it was a COVID year. Only time Wyatt had played that year was with Team Canada down in, down in Frisco. Um, but, you know, we had seen him quite a bit during his 16-year-old year, uh, our scouts and and myself, and obviously Joe, and Joe made the final call on that one. And, you know, it's a, a heck of a pick. I, I'd say in terms of hockey sense, I can't go through everyone in the draft, but, you know, he has elite hockey sense. He knows where to be. He knows where the puck's going to go, and he's got a great p- a finish with the puck. He can put pucks in the net. He picks pucks off. He's not the biggest guy, but he's always in the right right place. He's hard to get like to hit. He's not the he hasn't you know fully matured into his body yet, but he's still quite strong on his skates and his edges, which makes him hard to knock off the puck. So you know he's a he's an outstanding player, and you know we're lucky to have him, especially you know contributing at twenty years old and like he did at nineteen. It's you know he's a special special player, and you know role is the same thing. I. I think for, for Rope, he's come a long way. I, I think the development path that Jim set forward and, you know, years ago when he came in here and then we've kind of followed suit is you got to play in the minors. And, you know, I, we've had all our guys almost play the minors except for Miro Heiskanen, which, yep. you know, and Wyatt Johnson. But, um, you know, those are special players. But, you know, it doesn't mean just because you play in the minors doesn't mean you're not going to be a special player. So everyone has a different development development curve. So for Rope, playing those years in the minors and, you know, going to a Calder Cup finals and, you know, being part of some good teams down in Texas, but then kind of, you know, earning his confidence and getting more and more confident in himself, you know, he's turned into an unbelievable player. You know, I, I think he's exceeded expectations for sure, but, you know, for a 6'3 centerman who skates like the wind, they're pretty hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Stars Nation around here, Rich are also talking about the names Bixel, Stankoven, and Bork, and I know it's a good problem to have, but man, I mean, tearing up uh, Texas and Bixel in the in the Swedish league, and um, yeah, man, if we could just get a little bit of Zdeno Chara out of Bixel, that would be pretty amazing. I mean, the size, yeah. the ability, the puck moving. I mean, what's your scouting report on all three? Well, I think for Lee and Bixel, I think he's – you know, he came over, he got his feet wet here in North America. I think for himself, he probably wasn't fully ready to be here. I think it still had that in his mind uh, to go back to Sweden and play. And I and that's fine. And that's that's okay. Everyone kind of has to feel fully comfortable with, you know, he's moving over here from, well, he lives in Sweden, but he's from, it's a Swiss, he's a Swiss player. And that's a big jump for a 19-year-old kid. So... You know, he's been in Sweden for about three or four years now. And, you know, that's that's home for him. That's comfort for him. And, you know, I think we need to be patient with our young players. And when they're ready to come over, they're ready to come over. And uh, he's a big, you know, strong, good skater, makes really good outlet plays with the puck. He's mean. He's got uh, He's got some offense to him. He skates really well. You know, there's a lot of upside with him, and we're really, really excited about him. He's a, he's a great young player. You know, for 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 Logan, uh, Stan Coven, and 
Maverick Bork, like you, this, the stats just speak for themselves. Yeah. They're, they're outstanding young players. They play on the same line. Um, you know, with, with Logan, I, he's, whenever you watched him play, you're just, you know, taken over and, and your eyes just glued to him because he never stops moving his feet. He is constantly going all the time. He's an engine. He's an engine out there. And, you know, other guys jump on the backs of those types of players. He he doesn't ever take a shift off. And he's strong. He's got a great release. He's a motivated, motivated person, player. And he's going to be an ex- exciting young player for us in the future. He Not many 20-year-olds can come in the league, score 20 goals in its first, you know, 40-something games in the American League. And, you know, he's been outstanding. Maverick Bork. Elite hockey IQ, great playmaker. His game has taken off this year, but I think it probably all started after the Christmas break last year. He he started to feel more comfortable. Like I talked about with Lee and Bishel, like there's that comfort level and that confidence level that these players have, uh, and, and they have to find it, and they have to feel comfortable in their new surroundings. Maverick Bork coming from Quebec. He moved down to Texas last year. It's a big culture shock. Yep. It's a big life adjustment. He's lived at home. You know, you're living on your own now, and it's a big life adjustment. And, you know, if you don't feel comfortable away from the rink, you're not going to feel comfortable on the ice. So, you know, I think for Maverick, he felt comfortable after the second half last year, and he's taken off even more this this season. And, you know, you, you can't speak enough about the coaching staff in Texas with Neil Graham and his staff and, They've done an outstanding job uh, with the development of the players down there as well. So, you know, uh, hats off to them as well. Maverick Bork much improved in the face-off circle as well. Can Rich Peverly take credit for that? Peverly take credit for that? Well, it's something I'm not taking all the credit. I I, I think, uh, you know, I try to talk to the guys about face-offs and we work on them in development camp and training camp. And, you know, with Maverick in the past few years, you know, we did lots of video to talk about that stuff and uh that the player deserves all the credit i i just try to help him out and you know for maverick he's a smart player and he's a strong player and he understands what he's got to do so you know he a lot of the time with face-offs you can prepare all you want but you need to go out and you need to experience the strong players experience uh you know high pressure moments and and learn from tactics and things and that's just experience and it takes time and you can't expect a young guy to come in and just dominate in faceoffs. It's, it's nearly impossible. So, you know, there will be a, a little bit of a transition period when he gets to the NHL and that's okay. And once he figures that out, he'll be totally fine. That's one of the biggest things that I've that's noticed since like you played rich is that, played. you know, there's a little bit of a, like if you were kicked out of the circle, for instance, you know, chances are you might lose the draw now, like current Dallas stars, if, you know, one gets kicked out, then another one with a great face-off percentage just goes right in. I mean, it feels like we have centers all over the ice. Yeah, and that's – I think that just speaks to the depth and volume of our team – or uh, uh, the depth and uh, and strength of our team. You know, you, you you have players that played center, and usually centers can play wing if they have to, but it's tough for wingers to go to center. So, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a – you could say it's a strategy or not, but – you know, Sam Steele, great op, great uh, option there. He, he's uh, he's gotten better on faceoffs, but he can play away if you need him to. And he's playing center right right now. So, you know, the same thing with Tyler Sagan. He's a 
You know, he's an outstanding guy on the on the faceoffs, but he can play wing if you need him to, and you can move him back to center. So, you know, having that flexibility is, is huge. Who did you get the hockey bug growing up that really inspired you to lace up the skates and go? Was it was it watching Maple Leafs games as a kid, or you know, was it your family that got you involved in hockey? Yeah, I'd say my it was my dad for sure. He was uh, he watched the Leafs every Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada, and we made a we made a point to do that together and. You know, that is what I kind of grew up doing. And, you know, we'd go to OHL games and in some of the cities that I lived in and in Belleville and in Guelph. And, um, you know, that's just how I started to love it and started playing with it and just gravitated to it. And, you know, I probably owe it all to my dad, that's for sure. Does Rich Peverly have any Hockey Night in Canada towels? I do. Nice. Yes, I do. Are they, are they, are they framed or? Can't no, be in a drawer, right? No, they're not. And you know what? My kids probably don't even uh, know the significance <laughs> of them, to be honest with you. But you know, I think playing in uh, playing in Boston, uh, you know, you play in Montreal, the Toronto a few yeah. few times. So yeah. you know, that's uh, that definitely helped uh, stack up those towels. That's for sure. Yeah, I asked uh, Turco about that. I don't even think you know Craig Ludwig does this show with me once a week. I don't think he has any, and he played with Montreal. I won a cup with them, so. It's uh, it, oh, wow. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's just so cool uh, for our listeners. If you get a chance, just, just look up hockey night in Canada towel. It's just an amazing tradition that happens uh, on hockey night uh, in Canada. By the way, did you, did you grow up with uh, also former NHLer Greg Jacina? I did grow up with, yeah. uh, with Greg. <laughs> That's nice. funny. Uh, Greg lives here in town. I don't see him much. I don't see a lot of my own friends. I'm just working too much and seeing my own kids. But uh, yeah, Greg and I, same age. Yeah. Uh, Greg had a different path, went to the OHL and then, you know, went through Florida system. Uh, played a little in San Antonio, I think, in the minors. Yep. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he were, he's in town here now and he works. And uh, yeah, same age. Funny, nice. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Any other former yeah. NHLers around your neighborhood? Um. There's a few, yeah. Like uh, we kind of found each other after this. You know, the 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 OHL team here has a good alumni association. So a lot of the OHL players have played here. Uh, we get a game going and uh, once a week in the winter. But I I'm not around for that. But uh, the summers I play a little bit. And Brian Wilsey played about 400 games in Colorado and Washington. He lives here in town. There's a few other guys. So you know, it's good. Uh, it's a good group. That's for sure. Nice, nice. You know, speaking of hockey night in Canada and. Your career, it's somewhat similar age-wise and, and likewise. When when you're in juniors, you played for the Milton Merchants. And, uh, you know, I was looking it up, and you guys lost in that year you played in Game 7 to uh, Burlington. And on that team was fellow NHLer Kevin Bieksa. And then you guys yeah. spent about the same years in college. Um, and then, yeah. all, then all, of, all of a sudden, you're facing them in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, um, how well do you guys know each other? And now he's a star on Hockey Night in Canada and elsewhere in the NHL. Uh, I I don't know him at all. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I don't know him at all. And 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 that's the funny thing is he grew up in Stony Creek, which is I think he's from Stony Creek, which is just on the other side of Hamilton for me. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I played against each other. I think he's a year older than me, so. Played it, played against each other in junior A. And yeah, he went. I know we offered him. I know we offered him a scholarship at St. Lawrence, but I think he went to uh, to Bowling Green and obviously had a good college career. And 
you know, his career obviously, you know, took off when he went to Manitoba and to Vancouver, but um, yeah, hard nosed guy. Yeah. Just a mean guy to play against. Uh, you know, you can tell he does a great job on TV. He's very open and honest and blunt and, we never the only the only moment we really had was in the in the finals. He he, he kind of went at me and I I slashed him pretty good back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's really the only uh, moment where we wow where I'd say that I had something. But no, I played against him. Yeah, but no, actually, I don't even know him. At that's all. fascinating, absolutely, especially since you played at such a young age uh, together. Here's the other recall. Let's see if Rich Peverly can remember and if this research is correct. For one game on the Milton Merchants, you were teammates with Rick Nash. Do you remember that? You know what? I someone told me that, and I and I, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember Rick coming up and playing game. I'm sure he did. Uh, I I've met Rick a few times over the years, but we've never really sat and discussed anything. But uh, there's a good chance because he he was a heck of a player when he was young and he, he obviously played. If he was 14 or 15, he might have came up and played a few games for us. But I got you know what? The next time I see Rick, I got to ask him that. Yeah, but that is true. I did I did notice that. <laughs> I bet you didn't know you'd be asked so many questions about the Milton Merchants. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> this is not a typical not a typical interview. I love going through people's careers and and where it all started and where you came from. And, and one of those aspects, you played for an absolute legend at St. Lawrence and Joe Marsh. Um, yeah, you know, just just that Lynn, Massachusetts accent makes him a legend. And the and the screaming oh. matches and you know going back and and you know hearing some of the stories from some of the boys about chairs being kicked and and, and stuff like that. Um, Twenty six years behind the bench, he was the third Division One coach in NCAA history to amass four hundred wins in one institution. What made Rich Peverly choose St. Lawrence, and what was it like playing for such a a, a legend in NCAA hockey? Well, I, Joe is a fiery competitor. Uh, he is a very touching human, human person that cares about his players, uh, cares about the community. And that's why I think he lasted as long as he did. I think, you know, he, he really got to know all his players and really they all meant a lot to him. Um, you know, the reason I went there was I was recruited by an assistant coach there named Jay Heinbuck who's a scout now for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he saw me uh, at a younger age and, and identified me and, and, and he was the first one to talk to me. And I went to St. Lawrence and, you know, it was only about a four and a half hour drive from my house, which was uh, a pretty, pretty uh, great thing for me, for my parents, so they could be able to come see me. Um, so that side of it was great. The schooling was a smaller school, uh, you know, that was really important to my parents, just from an education side of it. The hockey was great. The year before I got there, they lost in the Frozen Four final to Boston College, I think it was. Um, so, you know, good hockey school. And, you know, when you're there, it's school and hockey. And and that's all it really is. And it just helped me kind of focus on what I wanted to do when I grew when I got older. That's for sure. When you were traded to Boston, did you get off the plane and say, everyone sounds like Joe Marsh? <laughs> oh yeah you know the 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 accent is i know and i love it i i i love boston i think it's just the best city in the world i the the 
the passion and the love for the for the sports. It's I, I I don't see it in anything else except for you know you could probably argue some NFL teams maybe the Cowboys in Dallas but uh, you know maybe you could argue some European f- soccer teams as well but it's the passion for its sports yeah. it's it's there's something going on like it, there if you're not if you're the major pro teams aren't playing then you got the college teams and they're all playing and they're all well attended and everybody loves sports there and uh, it's it's just fun going back. Did you realize that even after all these years, Rich, you are still in the top 25 as far as all-time points in St. Lawrence history? No, I had no, I had no idea. Yeah, number 25 now. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, There's some, obviously some pretty good players that came out of there and, uh, you know, some, some outstanding players and I, I, you know, I, I I finished St. Lawrence. I did not think I was going to be an NHL hockey player. I, I really didn't. I thought I was going to Europe and was trying to make a career over there. And, you know, it just uh, it, it worked out. But, you know, St. Lawrence was a big part of that. Yeah. All right. So goalies are unique. And you had a interesting one who's turned into a broadcaster in St. Lawrence and in Mike McKenna. When you were back in St. Lawrence, did you think to yourself, this guy is going to be on national radio? Um, you know, looking back, I could probably say, yeah, but at the time, did I think that, um, I would say maybe I, you know, Mike always articulated things so well. He was, he's such a good speaker and, you know, he loves the game. He loves the nuances of the game and, you know, he's, uh, he's a good person and he works hard and, you know, talk about a guy who, you know edged out a career for himself, yeah. like played pro hockey for how many years. And, you know, he's, uh, he had a great career at St. Lawrence. He's a good goaltender and he was always good. And then obviously playing in the minors for so long. Um, <laughs> when I think of Mike McKenna, I think of the, the heavy metal band music. He used to love to go to when he was younger. And he still <laughs> loves his heavy metal music. And I could just picture him with his, Metallica or Slayer oh. t-shirt on and you know and but that's that's Mike and that's what he loves he has his own little quirks and I think that's awesome did he get to play it in the in the room for the boys I mean who chose the music for you guys oh that's a long time ago <laughs> well I yeah, just I, maybe a maybe a bit maybe a bit yeah. uh, okay I was just saying that because you know Appleton Arena is an arena I have to get to that barn just seems so special, you know, just with the wood all over the place. Such a yep. small school, but yet playing major Division One hockey. You know, they, they love their team up there. It just seems like it's a community. And I'm just, like, I'm looking at pictures last night, and I'm like, wow, I have to get to this university and, and see a game in there because the acoustics with all the wood must be amazing. It is. It's a – there isn't many rinks like that anymore, and it's – uh it's a special place with lots of memories and they did a fantastic job there in the, with the alumni a couple of years ago and redoing it, putting quite a bit of money into the, into the arena and fixing it up. And it's just has a special, special place. Uh, obviously so many great teams have played there. And, you know, if you ever need to want to see a game, Clarkson, St. Lawrence, probably one of oh, the biggest yeah, rivalries in that's the rivalry. Hockey. That's right. If you can pack, you can pack probably 4,000 into a small little 3,000 seat arena and 
in either Canton or in Potsdam, and it's a, it's an electric atmosphere. You know, it is amazing. Earlier this year, I went to see Boston University Quinnipiac, and they were both ranked in the top ten. And I was just the the level of play as far as college hockey. It was always great, and you always had those historic rivalries, but. I mean, it is truly special, and I think it's awesome that kids are looking at college as an option to develop their career, and NHL teams are saying, you know what, this is fine, this is a real good system to be in, so we can draft you and absolutely go to college. Yeah, I, go, I watch a lot of hockey, and, and I will. I would be at a junior game on Thursday night, and then I'll watch a junior game, and then I'll, I was watching a, a, game, a college game on the weekend, and the pace of play is tremendously higher in college hockey. And, you know, you can attribute that to guys that are older and stronger and they're more men, more men. But, um, you know, it, it's they play every every game like it's their last. Every game is a playoff game. There's, you know, it's a great atmosphere, usually a great, uh, great hockey. And, you know, for four years and you can put your your prospects into a place where they, you know, they're getting stronger, they're eating well. You know, they're learning how to be a good pro, but they're also learning how to to be a, a good person and finishing all their studies and getting everything done and having discipline in, in their lives. And if you can put them in that type of environment, it definitely uh, is a good place to develop. And Rich Peverly then went on to play for the South Carolina Stingrays of the East Coast Hockey League. Not a bad place to start your career, Charleston. That's not a bad place to start. Nice southern city. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. So you had a yeah. great year. And kind of a cool story is that a former St. Lawrence alum noticed that you had a great year in Ray Shero. He was the assistant GM for Nashville at the time, and he actually brought you into the Nashville organization. Yeah, you know what? I had a great a great year in Charleston. I had, um, you know, the coaches there now, uh, the head coach, Jason Fitzsimmons, is now a, a, a head pro scout for Washington Capitals, and our assistant coach, was Jared Bednar, coach of the Colorado Avalanche. Nice. So we had great coaching, good people there, uh, great place to live. Uh, I really enjoyed it down there, and I, I had a great year. I, I really enjoyed it. I was just it was the lockout year. You know, all the AHL teams had about ten guys from the NHL down on their on their roster, so it was hard to get up to the American League. And you know, I was really lucky that you know Ray had come see me during my time in the East Coast League and. Uh, maybe some other teams had watched as well. And, you know, I got an opportunity started at to start the next year in the East Coast League in Reading. But, you know, once there was a few injuries in Milwaukee, I got an opportunity to go up there and play for Claude Noel. And, you know, I just, uh, I just relished the opportunity and, you know, we had a, we had a great team down there lost in the Calder cup finals and uh, all those players that played in the NHL, there's, you know, out of all that team there in Milwaukee, there's yep. quite a few NHLers, so it was a fun team to be a part of. And there's some great history in Milwaukee as far as hockey, just like, you know, in the AHL, just like Hershey and some other cities. So uh, that's terrific. How tempting was it, you know, having some success in the ECHL, having some success as far as the AHL? Was Europe calling at any point? Yeah, there was. Uh, after my second year, I think, in, in Milwaukee, I just – I maybe got about 17 games in the NHL, but, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to make the team in Nashville the next year. Um, and I, and I, and I did the following year. I, I, I started back in the minors and, you know, there was a lot of teams calling and, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to, 
going to jump yet. I kept saying, I'm going to give it another year. Um, so, you know, I think the next year, I think I had to go through waivers. So that, that year, I think I ended up playing, I think maybe 30 games or 40. I can't even remember how many games I played in, in Nashville that year. And then we, we lost in, uh, that would have been 2008. We lost to Detroit in six games. In six games. And I was able to play in yeah. all those games and in those playoff games. And that kind of, you know, helped me solidify myself. And, you know, I started the next year in Nashville, but, you know, things just didn't work out. So, but they, they gave me a great opportunity and, you know, I was so lucky to, to, to be a part of it. You know, it's so interesting too, with your career in that, you know, playing college hockey, playing juniors, and we, it's, it's mentioned that, you know, things get quicker and then the AHL and then the NHL, and all of a sudden you're in the playoffs and the difference between, you know, Craig tells me like there's preseason hockey, there's regular season hockey and then playoff hockey. And they're all completely, you know, I mean, same but different speeds. And I'm sure, you know, as a kid now playing in your first playoffs, it must have been a speed that you hadn't seen before. Yeah, it was dialed up. Um, you know, as as much as this might sound, like, I, I do think that my time in the American League in the playoffs helps you prepare for NHL playoffs. And then I would say it is a different animal, mm-hmm. but you know, you learn to grind, you, you're playing every other day. Um, you know, a lot of guys, it's hard. It's the weather's getting nice and you're like, Oh, I want to go home for the summer. But if you got a good group, you want to be there and you want to win. And I think, you know, in Milwaukee that helped me prepare for playoffs in Nashville. And, you know, I think uh, I, I got my confidence in Nashville, but that, that, like you said, the pace of play, the physicality, everything gets dialed up another level in, in NHL playoffs. And, you know, you got to be able to step up your game and you can't be scared. And, you know, I was uh, I was lucky. I got a good opportunity in, in Nashville. Was there a guy in Milwaukee when you played in the playoffs like, hey, this is how it's done? And I, I just liken that to what's going That's on with it. Texas, Bork, Bork, Stankoven, and on that line, Curtis McKenzie, just a, a former NHLer, now playing in the AHL, captain of the team, just kind of the, you know, the leader that's there year after year, kind of teaching the young guys. And, in fact, Thomas Harley mentions Curtis McKenzie when he was sent down as far yeah. as, you know, development and what, what Curtis brings to the table. I think, you know, we had some older guys uh, in Milwaukee. We had Darren Hadar, who's one of the best American hockey league players of all time. Uh, he was outstanding. We had another good leader in Greg Clausen, but, you know, we had a really good group of young players too. We had Shea Weber, Jordan Tutu, Scotty Upshaw, Kevin Klein, myself uh, we all you know had pretty you know it was greg zan and there was quite a few guys that played a lot of games and you know we were just all motivated and we enjoyed each other's company and i think that's why we did so well and all those guys that were in milwaukee with me were playing in playoffs with me in nashville the following year so you know it wasn't like it was just uh, i was going up to a new team all these guys had kind of graduated and that's what kind of made it made it uh, a fun team to be a part of yeah and from nashville you go to atlanta and just you know, doing a little deep dive on, on Atlanta, and it's talked about as a a possible expansion or a team moving to Atlanta in the future. Your experience in Atlanta seemed, you know, really good, and you played with some amazing players. It's it's just shocking to see your years in Atlanta that you guys didn't make the playoffs. And you know, names that stick out: Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, you played with Antropopov and Finneganoff, and 
you just you had all kinds of uh, talented Russians on that. Uh, that must have been a pretty good party scene as well. Those boys, I'm sure, could get after it if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah, the the Russian guys were were fun, but uh, we had some talented teams. I you know I couldn't really ever figure out what happened in Atlanta. I I you know I even watched there was a Hawks game on TV the other day, and there didn't seem to be anybody in the building. And yeah. you know I don't know if it's the location of the arena or or what it is, but you know for a city that size you, you, and for the amount of people that love sports you'd think that it could be successful in the right situation you know the, uh, there was many games there wasn't many people in the stands but you know the, the odd games where you got a good team coming in there would be quite a few people there but um you know it's it's too bad it never worked out but you know if they feel like they can go back there and be successful if they, as long as they do it the right way Atlanta's a fun city that's for sure were you excited to be traded to to Boston obviously they had an amazing team, but, you know, there is obviously a transition and you spent several years in Atlanta. And like I said, had, you know, good success when that happened, you know, take, take us through as you get the call. And next thing you know, you're, you know, heading toward a, a playoff contender. You know, when I look back at it now, I'm kind of going back to the Nashville days. Uh, I, I, I might go off on a bit of a story here, but I, Please. I, I always enjoyed telling this one is that I actually talked about it with Barry Trotz at world juniors this year. Um, I get put on waivers in mid January by the Nashville predators, Steve Sullivan and was returning from a back injury. And, and uh, he, he's coming back. He hadn't played in about a year and a half and they needed to send someone, you know, to create room for, for Steve Sullivan. They had to send someone down the minors. So Barry brought me in his office and he said, you know, I, I know you're getting claimed on waivers. I know there's quite a few teams that have told me they'll, they'll claim you. And I, you know, you, you hear that, but you really never know. Um, and, and sure enough, I'm, I'm at the airport the next day waiting to board a plane to go to San Antonio to meet the Milwaukee Admirals that are down there. And I get a call at, you know, waiver time, it's two o'clock and, and Atlanta had picked me up and, you know, I, I, I couldn't, John Anderson had seen me. He was my coach in Atlanta. Had seen me in the minors for several years. He was with the Chicago Wolves and gave me a great opportunity. And it's a funny story because, you know, I think I was put on waivers on a Friday or a Saturday and got claimed, played Tuesday at home, first game, Thursday against the Leafs. I think we won an overtime. I scored the overtime winner. I had three points. Then we went into Nashville the next night. And we, this was less than a week after I put on waivers and we beat them seven, nothing. And I had three points. <laughs> so it was, it's uh it's a funny, it's funny how the world works. And uh, you know, that was, that was quite an interesting thing, but I, I bring that up because John Anderson, that was, you know, obviously gave me such a great opportunity to play with some really good players in Atlanta. I, I started my on a line with Ilya Kovalchuk uh, yeah. going down to the minors. And then next thing you know, I'm playing with a star player. So you know, I that my confidence just went through the roof when that happened. You get a couple points and you start feeling like you can do some things. So, you know, I got a great opportunity in Atlanta. And, you know, when you did it when I when I got traded to Boston, I, I was a completely different player than you know the player that had started in Atlanta. I I'd learned to be a better two-way player, um, you know, worked on my face-offs. And, you know, I think when I did get traded to Boston, I was a little worried to go from being a top six guy in Atlanta to you know, where are you gonna fit into the lineup and you know, right away, Claude Julian came up to me and he's like, you know, you're going to play with Kelly and Ryder and 
you know, you can play whatever side you want. And, and I end up, Chris Kelly was a left-handed centerman. I, he took draws on the left. I took draws on the right. And, and, and although it kind of started and it didn't work out so quick, you know, by, by come by playoff time, we started to really gel and it was a really fun uh, line to be a part of you, even though, you know, you're, you're not per se the top two lines, you still felt like you had a role and you were being an important part of the team. And I think, you know, when I did go to Boston, that was, uh, you know, I just was pushed into a role and they gave me time to figure it out and it, and it worked out for the best. All right. Two, two quickies about, you know, Atlanta, when you do dominate Nashville like that, any chirps or any looks the other way? Like, Hey boys doing all right over here. in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not really. Right. I think, I think it, there wasn't anything. I, you know, I respected a lot of the guys over there, but you know, I, some of the, some fun guys on the other side and no, no chirps. That's kind of not my, not my thing. I just put my head down and work. So, <laughs> you know, it worked out. And did I feel really good about it? A hundred percent. It was an awesome time. and something that I'll never forget. Yeah. Let Colby Armstrong do the talking, right, chirp, Rich? Yeah. Let uh let let teammate Colby Armstrong do the talking. <laughs> <He's> a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Colby. Colby was good at that stuff. We had a few guys like that, so that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so you make the transition to Boston, and all of a sudden you walk into a room, and you know there are a lot of uh, gr- great names, and it, and and it was a terrific, um, you know, a terrific. Was that room different than others that you had played in as far as your career? Hundred percent. It wasn't even. It wasn't even close. Uh, you know, we had some good leaders in Nashville, good good leaders in Atlanta, but you know, when you're talking about there's a Dan Ocharas, Mark Recchi, Patrice Bergeron, these guys pushed each other harder than anyone I'd seen before. Uh, I'd say the level of pace and practice, the you know, the, the competitiveness and practice was was I thought I worked hard. I went there and I didn't think I worked hard enough. Uh, and and I learned a lot about work habits and how to treat yourself away from the, uh, in the away from the arena. And we had some really really got good guys that uh, pushed each other. Milan and Lucic pushed pushed Chara. They'd be killing each other in the corner, but you know they practiced how they played, and they all practiced extremely hard. No one took a practice off. It was it was a fun team to be a part of in that sense because you got felt like you got better every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And what a what a run it was. And I remember the cup final because, you know, you had so many stars on both sides, but at the same time, you know, your line and and really the grinders played such a major part of that series on both sides. So, I mean, they, they were featured with, you know, stars and stars in net as well with Luongo, but you know, at the same time, and it was just, it, it was just, it was, it was one of those things where it was, you know, your line and it was really a tight checking series. Yeah. You know what? I think I remember starting that series in Vancouver and everybody on Canadian TV saying that the depth of the Vancouver Canucks were bigger than the, better than the depth of the Boston Bruins. And I remember looking at the stats and I was like, well, we've got some pretty good players on our third and fourth line that have had good playoffs. You know, I think Michael Ryder had 18, 19 points in 25 games on the third line, uh, you know, Chris Kelly and myself chipped in. You had Gregory Campbell and Dan Pye and Sean Thornton chipped in. Like, you know, we had guys that, you know, your top six could do it, but then, you know, your other lines could win you some series too. I, you know, I think the first round against Montreal, 
I'd, I'd probably argue that our line was the best line with myself, Kelly, and Ryder. And you, you need you need sometimes other lines to get going. It can't be the same guys to get going all the time. It's kind of you know it's it's a lot like last year in, in, with Max Domi in Dallas. Like if we didn't have Max Domi, he was arguably our best player against Seattle in the yep. Seattle series. So you know your stars can't always pull you through. Sometimes they even each other out, but you need other guys to step up and kind of help you win. Yeah, can can you remember hoisting the cup and? Or is it just one of those things that's just so unbelievable that you can't remember the moment? Oh, no, I remember everything. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember the last three or four minutes. You know, it got to 4 nothing, and you're kind of like, you know, okay, maybe I can breathe a little bit. And, you know, it was just a surreal moment with uh, my family there and, and my wife. And yeah. it was just exciting. Yeah. Exciting. It's so exciting. And everybody just having so much jubilation. It was, it was something that I hope I can – you know, uh, it'll be a different feeling if I ever have another chance to win because it wasn't playing. But yeah. you know, um, you know, when I did win, when we when we were when I played, it was something I'll never forget. That moment, never never forget the moment you, you put that cup over your head for yeah, sure. Absolutely, in a two goal game too, and that that's just. I mean, I I bet when those goals, you know, the first one was a, a real pretty pass that you received, and you know, put it through Luongo. The second one was a deflection, right? Yeah, you know, it's that's a you know, I I guess that playoff for me was interesting because I played the first I'd say uh round, first round and half of the second round with Chris Kelly's line. And then Patrice Bergeron gets hurt and I go up to his line, play with Marshawn and Recky. And then Bergeron returns and uh, Tyler Sagan came into my spot and he was outstanding in the Tampa series. A uh, big reason why we won. Um, so he kind of took my spot. So then I started, went down and played with Kelly and, or sorry, with uh, Campbell and Pae on the fourth line. And then as the Stanley Cup finals gets going, Nathan Horton gets hurt in game three. So they need someone to play on his line. So I ended up playing on every single line in the play in the playoffs that year. Wow. And, you know, obviously I got a couple great passes in, in those game four and scored, but uh, you know, Unfortunately, Nathan Horton was hurt, but you know I, I was lucky to have an opportunity to play with some great players. Have you been on a duck boat since the parade? No, <laughs> no, I have not. No, I have not. But you know what? They are fun. They they were fun. They, yeah, I did go on a duck boat tour. I think either before I, I around that time, but uh, they they are fun. I mean, you know, I grew up there, Rich, and it's one of those things where the old Boston Garden, so much tradition, you know, Raymond Bohr, Cam Neely, but at the same time hadn't won a cup since 72. Every time they got to the finals, they faced the Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky. So it was just like a little tough sledding, but at the same time, you know, and, and you know, got bounced by, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Philly in a tough series uh you know, a couple of years yeah. prior. So for what you boys did to the city, I mean, it just, it really rejuvenate, rejuvenated the franchise for what it is today. You know, always an original six city, but I mean, your team will never be forgotten in uh, Beantown. You know, and everybody says that, and I feel really lucky to be a part of a team like that. You know, I when we had gone through that Philly series, uh, the year we won in 11, everyone talked about the 2010 series where they were up, Bruins were up three nothing, then three nothing in Game Seven, and you know there was all that discussion about it, and 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 for myself, and for you know for Caberlet and Chris Kelly, myself, 
um, uh, other guys that weren't a part of the team the year before. It didn't really have any bearing on me because I wasn't there and I never went through it. And I'm sure it went through all the other guys' mind, but you know, I, the confidence level was there. So it wasn't like it wasn't there. So, you know, I, I, I know didn't, I didn't even think about it, but I know a lot of the other guys did, but you know, to win in that city, you know, I know they've had a lot of championships lately with the, with the Patriots and the Celtics won, you know, and then the Red Sox have yep. won a few now, you know, just, you feel like you're part of a tradition or you're part of a, a you know, some kind of inner group that, that won and makes you feel special because it was such a, like I talked about earlier, such a great sports city. All right. Jumping ahead. There is a major trade in the NHL and Rich Peverly is going to the Dallas stars with a throw in of Tyler Sagan in the mix. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I well, did, I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Rich. No, that's a, it's, it's obviously a changing moment in my career in my life. Uh, it was, um, you know, I really enjoyed my time in Boston, enjoyed the guys and, you know, with with Tyler, I think you know Boston wanted to move in a different direction, and and at the time you have to respect whatever decisions they made. And the salary cap that year, I believe, went from seventy to sixty four because of the lockout. Yeah. So Boston had to shed some salaries. So you know I was thrown into that mix, and you know I talked to Jim Nill and to Lindy Ruff before I came, and you know I was excited about an opportunity, and you know I. If it wasn't, you know, I look back on it now, you know, how many years later, um, I, I feel really lucky to be able to meet Jim Nill and um, be able to be a part of his staff because he's such an incredible human being and been through so many things in his life, but also in the hockey's hockey career. And, you know, it's kind of a blessing in disguise, I guess you'd say, where, you know, I, I didn't really want to move on from Boston, but, uh, you know, to be a part of a an amazing organization in a great city. And, you know, you look at it now, like you go to stars games and, and they're sold out and there's a great, great fan base. And, you know, you feel lucky to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, playing with Sagan and now working in the organization with Sagan still there. I mean, just, you know, watching the games, Rich, it's really great to see how, how good of a two-way player he's become. And I know, Part of that was under Ken Hitchcock, you know, where he started to kill penalties as well. But, you know, it's just really impressive how he's elongated his career. And now that the injury is finally healed, um, you know, it, it we're seeing, you know, on that line, that's a pretty special line with uh, um, Mason Marchment and uh, Matt Duchesne. And, you know, it's, it's great to see Tyler Sagan thriving once again. It is. And, and I think for Tyler, like he, he's become a good two-way player now for quite a few years, yep. but you could see his skating was with his hip that he had to get it fixed or if it was his knee or, you know, once he got all that fixed, he just looks like a different player. And even last year, you know, you know, for Tyler, I think, you know, if you put him with good players, he's, he's an elite hockey mind. And, you know, for Marchman, it was kind of, uh, you know, he had gone through some personal stuff. It's first year transitioning to a new team. But you had seen that talent he had in Florida. And, you know, he showed glimpses of it last year. But I'd say it probably wasn't as consistent as we would we would like. But, um, you know, to his credit, had a fantastic summer. He came in and, and Matt Duchesne has just drove, driven that line. But I'd say, you know, those other two guys have been just as good. 
and, and they and they've been excellent together. And you know, when you've got three or four really good lines, you feel good about your team because, like I talked about earlier, you can't win on with one team with one line. You're going to need depth, and and that's I think uh, has given us a lot of success. Yeah, absolutely. And then you look what's coming up from Texas, and the future is bright, and you're a Big part of it, and uh, so glad you're a part of the organization. Can't wait to see you. Uh, I'm sure it'll be in a three-piece suit, but raising that uh, Stanley Cup over your head uh, once again, that would be, <laughs> that would be uh, special in Dallas since we haven't had it since uh, 1999. Rich, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much for you know talking about the current Dallas Stars and then going back and looking at your career. It was a heck of a career, my friend. And, uh, you know, awesome to see, you know, went from undrafted to raising a Stanley Cup. It's a terrific story. And uh, congratulations on what you're doing in the personnel uh, department. I'd be remiss to ask uh, if I didn't ask general manager at some point. Is that something that, you know, has crossed? You know, I know, you know, your family special and everything that takes a lot of time. But, you know, is that something that eventually you want to gravitate towards? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something that I've, you know, you have goals in life and, and I would love to do that. Um, and I, you know, I, that opportunity would have to come. I, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm really close with my family, but at the same time, you know, they have, uh, they support me and, you know, if it ever an opportunity came, I, I'd love, I'd love that in the future. So, you know, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing right now. And if ever an opportunity like that came, that would be great. And, and let's plug the foundation as well. If y- you did something terrific after your star's career and you were very proactive and if someone wants to get involved, um, how can they get involved? I, kn- I know here um, it was really cool because we have now defibrillators on every single floor and uh, that's, that's wonderful and proper training's done. And, you know, talk about the foundation, you know, where people can find more information. Well, after, unfortunately, my incident there, I, you know, I, my wife and I decided to give back to so many people that helped us go through some hard times and, you know, a defibrillator saved my life. And, you know, you know, during that time, there wasn't that many defibrillators around. Um, you know, we did run a few foundation things in Dallas and we do it here in Guelph still and just try to raise awareness for for AED training and and to buy AEDs and you know I know some of the AEDs that we've uh, raised money to to purchase to put into arenas or into buildings have saved lives so you know we feel pretty special about that we we work with the Heart and Stroke in Canada here in in Ontario and and we also you know in the past had worked with the American Heart Association in Dallas but uh just great, uh, great uh, charitable uh, things that we've been able to, to accomplish. And I'd be able, I feel very lucky that uh, we were able to get some, some uh, well-needed things put in place. That's awesome, Rich. Thanks again for uh, joining us. Uh, it was a great hour spending time with you. I know our Spits and Suds listeners will love it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. That's Rich Peverly, Director of Player Personnel for your Dallas Stars. That's going to do it for another edition of Spits and Suds One-Timer. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan. Have a great day, everyone.